and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is April 18th, 2018. It's a beautiful day. Not in Massachusetts, though. Bitterly cold it's getting. We might have snow tomorrow. April. Who cares about springtime? So anyway, uh, thank you all for watching and welcome. Tonight should be a very entertaining show. We are going to try something new tonight where we uh, we're going to hopefully we'll have two or three guests and we will be discussing. Um, we're going to be discussing one particular hole uh, and one particular course, and we're going to go deep into that hole and see if maybe we should tweak it a little bit. We're going to have a couple players. We're going to have one course designer and myself if this all goes the way we're supposed to go. But before we get there. I want to start the show with some Q&A. We put up a new, uh, a new page on our website, uh, AMA. So if you go to dgpt.com slash AMA, that is uh, a place that you can go and literally ask me anything. And that'll be, oh, hey there, Brad. <laughs> and that will be, uh, those questions will be the things that we talk about as we get going here on the podcast. So the first question from a listener, do you have any ideas to mitigate backups during rounds? Seems like backups really break up the flow of the live broadcasts. Are black backups a concern for you? Uh, the answer is absolutely. Uh, backups are a very big concern. As a matter of fact, um, we, we ask, this is the first year we've done this, but we ask each event to put the lead card 25 minutes after the chase card. So we have a very big buffer between those two cards. And what that's done so far this year is allow the lead card to go through with very few backups. Our average, um, our average live broadcast time is under three and a half hours, close to three hours and 15 minutes. And last year it was closer to four hours. So absolutely it's a big concern and it's something we are proactively working on. So thank you for the question. How can you best expand women's coverage? Uh, first of all, I'll say I love the way that question is worded. Um, how can we best do it? Not, hey, buddy, you need to do this differently. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty sticky question right now. I, I love the fact that the women's side of the game keeps coming up. It is something that we are focusing on during this break between the Jonesboro Open and the San Francisco Open. And uh, we'll see if we're able to develop some new stuff and, uh, and new ways to highlight the women's game. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not actually going to answer that question directly, except to say it is something we're working on. If you have an idea, please send it to us. We will, uh, we will investigate uh, whether or not any idea is viable. And, uh, and the, entire, the goal of this whole thing is to make pro disc golf more viable and more watchable by everybody. So if you have ideas, please send them to me, Stephen at dgpt.com. Question three, I have a friend who, this is a good one. I have a friend who owns a business. Could he advertise on the Pro Tour broadcast? As a matter of fact, uh, next Tuesday, I believe we have a blog post coming out that talks about exactly this. Um, yes, there are, there are opportunities to advertise on the Pro Tour. Um, we have, uh, what, uh, we have our, our blog and our news post, uh, news feed. People can advertise on that. You could present that whole thing. You could advertise inside each article uh, you have, we have uh, you could be the presenting sponsor of a preview video for each event or of a recap video for each event. We also have circle zero spots that you could advertise in all of the advertisements in the live broadcast itself are full. We do have a, some ad spots on some of the Jomez ad uh, edited videos. So there's lots of ways that you can be involved. We could even customize a, a segment of the Circle Zero show just for you. So, for example, if you were a cookie company and you made cookies with ice cream on them, you could say, hey, uh, we, we could have the, uh, the, the cookie crumbles segment of Circle Zero. Hmm. A shout out to Jenny. I think she said those are called snickerdoodles. Um. So again, if you're interested in sponsoring the Pro Tour, Stephen at dgpt.com. Uh, question four of six. What can we as individuals do to help make the Pro Tour more, more successful? Excuse me. Um, 
What can we as individuals do to help make the Pro Tour more successful? Tom, thank you very much for asking that question. I'll say uh, thank you very much to you because I know that you have done quite a bit. Um, the easy thing is to go to our store and, and purchase Pro Tour merchandise and let people know about the Pro Tour that way. Obviously, we want everybody to watch, watch the live broadcast. The more eyeballs we have, the more sponsors care about us. Uh, a way to help directly, go to patreon.com slash DGPT, become a Patreon, support us directly, and we will give you thanks. Um, so those are some, some easy ways, but really watch and tell your friends to watch. You could even host a watch party if you want. I think it's uh, dgpt.com slash watch hyphen parties. Question number five, why not have post-produced coverage of the top two cards instead of live? I would much rather see the second card than two videos of the same card. This is a great question and not an easy question. So the reason for this is uh, there are two different ways to show disc golf right now. Uh, there's a live broadcast, which is something that the Pro Tour is concentrating on. And I believe that sports is meant to be seen live. It gets us emotionally involved and you don't know what's going to happen. And that, that just gets us deep. That, that gets its hooks right in us. And we're rooting for or maybe against a certain player. So live to me is critical. Right now, however, most people watch disc golf through edited videos through, for example, Jomez. So Jomez has one method of producing videos and the Pro Tour has a lot of the way we produce videos live through Smashbox. Unfortunately, because we have these two methods, we both obviously want to cover the lead card. The Pro Tour has made an effort and we will have, although sometimes it's delayed and delayed by more than we wish, uh, we will have chase card coverage, edited chase card coverage of every chase card round throughout the season. Um, the Jonesboro uh, chase card stuff will be coming out right before San Francisco as a lead into that event. But suffice it to say that will exist. Um, so we will have lead card and chase card coverage for each event. Uh, the, the, the sad thing to this person's point is some people like live, some people like edited and whichever one you want, you obviously want to watch the lead card. And so, we need two crews on that card, and that's the way that is. Um, and then Disc Golf James asks, are you attempting to overtake the PDGA and become the ruling body of Disc Golf? Um, the answer to that is no. All right, moving on. Do, do, do. Uh, oh, and if you want to ask a question for next week's show, Go to dgpt.com slash AMA, fill out the form, and I'll be happy to answer that question next week on the show. And with that, I think it's time for me to get to Brad Peets. Um, Brad has been waiting very patiently. Uh, thank you very much, Brad. Uh, let me know if you can hear me. I can hear you just fine. Thanks. That's fantastic. And I think we can, we can all hear you just fine as well. Um, Brad, uh, thank you very much for building um, Disc Side of Heaven. You did a fantastic job. Can you give us a little bit of history about Disc Side of Heaven? Uh, the entire course, um, yeah, yeah, it sits on about 88 acres of land. And I've driven by that place a lot the first two or three years before we'd opened. And I just thought it was a beautiful piece of land, a beautiful piece of property. And I thought it'd be great for disc golf. Uh, we only had one course in Jonesboro at the time. It was a very wooded course, not very beginner friendly because it was every single shot was through the woods. And, and so it was just kind of a wild idea I had to go out and try to create something uh, here in Jonesboro. Um, from the very beginning, the idea was to build two courses, one that would be uh, able to introduce people to the sport, a little more open, shorter. I've actually uh, had... At, whenever we opened, we actually had four tees marked on that uh, course. Uh, the green tees were for kids, 12 and under. And, and again, just a way to try to encourage people to come out and learn how to play. Uh, so the rec side had the 12, um, had the, sorry, had the four. Um, Peggy just walked in, threw me off for a second. Um, <laughs> had the four 
tees for the reg side and then the champ side, the whole idea behind the champ side was to do exactly what we've done the last couple of years. I wanted to build something that was strictly for the top of the top, best in the world players. And, and so with that 50 acres of land, that the champ course sits on about 50 acres. Uh, that, that's what I wanted to do was build something that would bring people to town. And uh, about five years ago, we opened in March of 2013 is when the both courses opened. Uh, I contacted you probably three, maybe even four years ago now and sold you on this crazy idea of bringing disc golf to Jonesboro, Arkansas. And uh, you took a leap of faith with me. Thank you. And um, I think last year we really surprised some people. And uh, I think this year it was even more of a surprise just how much, uh, how much the course, what the course is meant to do, and that's to challenge the best players in the world. Uh, absolutely. One interesting thing there, well, I'll say I, I recognized that it was on about 80 acres, which is about the same as Maple Hill. Okay. And the course plays on about 50, the big course, which is about the same as the Maple Hill Gold course. Uh, so that's, it's kind of fun that those numbers kind of jive. I didn't realize that you had, you started with a green course or is it, is that what you said? You started with a green course? Well, no, no, no. On the rec course, there's four tees. There's, there were green tees, red tees, okay. white tees, and blue tees. So, I mean, the, the rec course from the blue tees still measures out to 6,400 feet. So, I mean, it's still a pretty challenging course on the rec side. But the green tees, you know, changed it down to almost 2,500 feet. So, cut yeah. more than half of it. Uh, you know, again, just to bring my kids, my boys out there and have them play the same course that I was playing. Right. And it absolutely makes it beginner friendly and family friendly. And you get uh, a lot of people that are able to come out and play. As soon as Maple Hill brought in the red course, which is our short course, um, the numbers and the types of people playing increased dramatically. That was that was a very good thing. Um, so you leading up to this tournament, you told me a pretty fun story about some trucks. Uh, I'm wondering. You might say. You might say it's fun. Uh, others <laughs> might disagree with you. Um, After the fact, it was fun. Um, but let's let's just start with a number and not tell anybody what this number is. Can you give me a number and then we'll explain the story and we'll get back to what that number means? Um, I'm guessing four. Is, that is sounds that like a number. Good number? All right. Now explain to me why that number matters. Uh, okay. Hole 18, uh, longest, one of the hardest holes on the course, if not the hardest hole on the course. Big valley shot. Uh, it's where the creek bed flows through. And the month of February, Jonesboro, Arkansas, received 14 and a half inches of rain the month of February. The normal amount of rain is four inches of rain in February. And then, <laughs> and then March was also very wet. It wasn't record wet like that, but we also had an extremely wet March. So all of that water was flowing through the creek bed. The way the entire property drains to that, we, it'd be a week without rain, and you still had groundwater coming up out of the uh, ground along the creek bed. And so whenever the tent guys, my tent guys, to come out and set up the tents, they were going to go up to the hill there on hole 6 slash 16 and set up the tent up there. Um, well, they got stuck. And, and so they got stuck in the creek. Jordan, who's my right-hand man and everything, Jordan's got a big, huge 4 by 4 Toyota Tundra, big truck, big engine. Hold on a second. So okay. the tent guys, they're driving out to the tent place where they're going to put the tent, and right. their truck, which is not four-wheel drive, gets stuck. Correct. Okay. And if I'd have known it was not four-wheel drive, I'd have never let them go out there in the first place. Right. I thought it was a four-wheel drive truck. Um, so they get stuck. Jordan has to stop what he's doing out on the course, drive over to hole 18, and get them out. So this was on maybe Tuesday or so, maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday, uh, that the tent guys get stuck. Well, then on, I believe it was the next day, whatever it was, Tuesday or Wednesday, Jordan has been driving all over the course. He knows where to go and where not to go. Uh, but unfortunately, as much as he was driving, he was running up the creek. Right. And where he got to, where he got to, he sunk his Toyota. <laughs> and when I say sunk, I mean sunk that four by four down to the axles and down to the doors. <laughs> so yeah. And 
we got a windstorm all of a sudden. And so Jordan calls a buddy. He's got another big, huge four by four. He comes down. He hooks it up to the Toyota. He gets stuck. We dig him out. He goes home. We call a wrecker. That was probably a mistake, but we thought that we could get a hundred foot long cable to Jordan yeah. and pull him out. The record doesn't even get close to him and the record gets stuck. And so wait, very wait, wait. the, the wrecker has like a hundred foot long cable. So he's 150 feet away. Oh, easily 150 feet away. He never and, even got to him. And, and so the record gets stuck. And so the record literally <laughs> winches himself backwards up the 18th fairway. Oh, yeah. up backwards to get yep. out of there. And then Jordan had to call a buddy with a skid steer on the next morning to get uh, to get his truck unstuck. So we had four trucks stuck in hole 18 in a matter of 24 hours. That's I, I am. I'm. It's good to have a winch on your truck so that yes. you can get yourself out. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was um, that, that unfortunately right there in hole 18. You know, that's where a lot of people walk. And there's a, it's right at the bottom it's at the beginning of the landing zone. So it was torn up pretty bad. Uh, so that kind of stunk, but uh, we, we managed through it. We had some hay bales out there that we put hay down and so he could walk on the hay instead of the mud. And uh, we filled in the, the holes as best we could to where they, um, um, you know, to where they rutted it all up, but we, we made it through. So uh, I think one of the things that uh, the players genuinely appreciate about your tournament is the fact that, you you are you are able to think on your feet and you see a situation and you're able to make the best of that situation and fix it as best as possible. Um, getting four trucks stuck uh, and unstuck before the tournament and then making it absolutely playable. You told everybody it was ridiculously muddy. And I think you did a great job of setting expectations accurately. But when we got there, it was not ridiculously muddy. It was just muddy. And uh, so did a great job of setting expectations. And then during the tournament uh, where scoring central was, I know that area got super muddy and you guys brought in uh, wood chips and maybe gravel or sand and made it. So it was absolutely not muddy right there in front of scoring central, which, which was again, a, a very good proactive way of treating this, the, the situation that arose. Uh, and I know last year we had uh, similar situations at every turn, every big tournament, something's going to happen it's just a matter of dealing with it calmly and confidently and making sure that things get fixed as best they can. So uh, kudos to you and thank you very much. And I think you, you said it, you surprised a lot of people last year. And when we look at the pro side of the field last year, I think it was somewhere on the order of 60, 60 men and women came out and played. And this year it was somewhere on the order of 110 or so. So almost doubling the number of people that came out and played. Do I have those numbers close to right? You do. There was 120, I think. Um, there's 104 men and 15 women, so okay. we're right at 120 this year. That that sounds great. So almost, almost doubling the number of people that played. Uh, so kudos and thank you to you. Um, I think we have Katrina Allen here. Okay. Uh, we we don't have any video. I don't know if that if you're in a place that can't do video or not. Um, I'm just not really sure how to work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this. I'm just in the car. I'm actually at dinner. I, I'll be completely honest. I totally spaced it. <laughs> oh well. Do you have Do you have ten minutes for us? I have ten minutes for sure. I'm waiting on my food, so it's perfect. Okay, fantastic. So, yeah. Brad, I'm going to drop you like a hot potato for a second. Hi, Brad. Oh, Bye, Brad. Oh, I'm going to finish my pancakes then. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I'm working on my ice cream. So this is this is what happens at dinner time. Uh, so. Katrina, are you holding us with your left hand or your right hand? Uh, both. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, Katrina, before we get into it, because I know we have about nine minutes to spare. Okay. Um, so, you're on the road full-time for three or four years now? Uh, this is my eighth season on tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as I know, because I've been on the road three years now, so I assumed you'd been a little longer than that. Yeah. Eight years in a row. Um, congratulations and congratulations on being the very first uh, tour champion at the, the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Thank you. Um, I want to know, do you have any funny stories from the road? Does anything ever odd ever happen where you're going along and things just 
maybe don't go the way you expect or something funny just happens and that you want to share with everybody? Gosh, something funny like that? Any, or, or it could just be a broken tire. It could be anything. No, well, actually, I was picking up Kevin and Austin and two guys who are down here from um, Canada to meet Kevin's dad for dinner. And actually, my battery, my car, like, just turned off. Like, all the electrical in my car just turned off. So I was supposed to pick them up and take them. So I don't know. I have to deal with that after dinner. But I don't find that very funny. <laughs> and, but that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Where are you? I am in Greenwood, Arkansas, just south of uh, Fort Smith. All right. So if anybody is listening and is in the Fort Smith, Arkansas area, they can go to a, a restaurant and find you and fix your car. Yeah. I think it's just going to be my battery, but I just bought one a year ago. So we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've had batteries go dead on me very quickly, but I usually leave the lights on. Yeah. But I have a newer car, so it shouldn't. I oh, yeah, know. that's right. They, they got rid of that. Anyway, so moving on to the topic at hand, and Brad has not gone over. We haven't gone through hole five at all, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you jump in and give us your five cents worth. Um, hole five at Jonesboro, uh, it's, you're, you're playing from a, um, a tee that has maybe 250 feet to the OB and then another 80 feet to the island green. It might be far. Brad, is it farther than that? I think it's a little farther. A little further, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and then, uh, now, the reason that this hole came up, though, is because what's happening is most of the women uh, and men are opting to play it safe and yeah. not, go for the, uh, not go for the peninsula green there. And the goal that I would have, would, I would want, would want about half the women to go for it, and I would want about half the women to lay up, just in, in general. I want to give people an opportunity to say this risk is worth the reward. Yeah. How did you play that hole and how would that hole be changed for the better bearing in mind what I want? Um, honestly, I think it's just, uh, how do I explain it? I went for it the first round and made it. Then it was really windy and snowing. So I laid up <laughs> and then the last round I went for it and just threw an errant drive. But I personally think maybe just a little shorter if you want it to be that straight shot. Because you kind of, with those trees, have taken out the hyzer. Okay. And I think that's the most comfortable shot for most people to throw if they're going to throw. Is the hyzer? Well, at least for me, like a, a distance control shot, I want to throw, you know, like a flat hyzer. Or... And so maybe a little shorter. Where And then I think what's hard is that straight shot in the wind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The second where the tee pad is and those trees are, you kind of force it to be a straight shot, which is one of the hardest shots in golf. And then with the wind, it makes it an even harder shot. Uh, the second day, I totally understand. And I, I, I would be surprised if anybody went for it on the second day. I don't um, think so. Playing in snow and it's 30 degrees, that's not, yeah. You, you don't want to take a shot, any kind of shot that's, that's challenging. Um, so I guess my two cents are either move it back where somewhere where the layup shots way harder or, or, or your second shot would be harder or, oh, right. or I guess move it left or a little bit shorter where it's more tempting to go for, I guess. Where the shot is more of a natural hyzer. Well, not even necessarily that just like I said, if you want to keep that straight shot, my personal opinion, it'd have to be a little shorter for people to want to throw that shot or like maybe left, but then lefties are going to be mad. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Does uh, course design is tough. And that's, that's mm -hmm. why we, I, this is a new segment that I want to introduce on this show, which is yeah. getting, getting into the weeds on one particular hole and, and, and recognizing, okay, people throw differently. Do you want, you don't want to give advantage to one over the other, Brad, right. Brad, does anything she say, says ring true or false or, uh, or make you think, Maybe we should change this. No, no. Uh, the very first thing she said was about the trees. And, and that is something that Jordan and I discussed this year, actually, was taking down. There's three little trees right there that block that hyzer shot. Uh, yeah. We talked about taking down one of them this year. We talked about taking two of them. We talked about taking three of them. Trees are actually much harder to put up once you take them down. Um, so this <laughs> year we kind of 
we, we kind of wanted to see how it played out this year and to kind of get some feedback before we did take down those three trees. And, and so, you know, just hearing Katrina right now, I mean, that kind of answers one of our questions. Um, you know, looking at the stats and seeing that very few people went for it, uh, it kind of answers that question. So uh, those three trees looks like they may be gone next year. And again, we didn't want to do it this year and screw the hole up and then say, man, we wish we'd left those trees there. And so now kind of getting that feedback, you know, we're going to look at it and see what happens. I, I wonder if uh, I'm trying to think about the placement of all those trees. Do all three of those trees need to go or could this be something that you, you sort of piecemeal into and see if getting rid of one of them or two of them is enough? Katrina, what are your thoughts on that? I was actually just trying to think about that. If, if the first one goes, you might have a little more room to work the hyzer. Right. But they're very close together so i mean mm -hmm. the three of them really make one big obstacle yeah and so yeah you could take out the one on the far left or the one on the far right and kind of open that up a little bit more but again all three of them together serve as one big obstacle so you yeah. know yeah it's it's very interesting to, to yeah. hear that you even say that maybe just taking down one would give you enough room right or like i said you know i think I mean, you could even do it because what was it, three fifty or something like that? Um, I think so. I don't. Three fifty, three sixty. I don't think it's quite that. I think it's three forty-five. I think is what okay. it was. Okay. Okay. Maybe it just tough. always played. Maybe it just played longer because of the wind. I guess. Well, and that was the other thing. Um, in April in Jonesboro, the pre the prevailing wind is a south wind, so it would have given you a a tailwind yeah. instead of that 20 mile per hour headwind right. because that you know saturday we had that north wind right in your face uh friday there was no wind at all and sunday there was a little bit usually yeah. you have a tailwind on that shot and it's obviously oh. would make make your choice a lot different with you had a right. 15 mile per hour tailwind yeah so just so we just so we're all talking the same thing hole five is 345 feet okay um, and the three trees that we're talking about, I thought there was one off to the way, right. But I, I guess I was mistaken. There's three trees down sort of by the OB wall, sort of in the fairway. It's right, it's right where the OB and the pond comes together. It's where, yeah. the, it's literally right next to the drop zone almost. Yeah. So one, one thing that we've done, uh, at Maple Hill, when we, we don't necessarily want to cut down a tree, but we want to sort of remove part of it. We would we go ahead and just limb the whole right side of one of those trees, and uh, and that you still have your your main obstacle, but now it's not it's not uh, it's very well defined where that line is, mm -hmm. and it gives people a, a wider lane without removing a tree. That's that's another option that we do. I right. think you also have to think because me and you sat and did this in Utah last year, three hundred and forty five feet is a lot longer than you think there's not <laughs> how do I, I try to be nice but like i'm probably gonna get some heck for this but whatever i don't think there's a lot of women that throw that far 345 feet it's it's downhill a little bit uh so it probably plays closer to 330 or 320 but that's very different than 290 those are very different numbers um, yeah. 290 is a throw that women can throw and control, and 330 to 350 is a throw that, especially over OB, that women need to give it 90 to 100 percent, and uh, and that makes the control factor that much harder. Uh, and looking at the stats on hole five at Jonesboro, uh, seven percent got inside circle two in regulation, and I'm guessing one of those was you, Katrina, and yeah. then uh, and zero percent got inside circle one. Yeah. So, uh, and this was, that's in round three. And so if we check round one, which is the only other time people were 13% in circle two and 0% in circle one. So just very, very small numbers, which is the reason that we're talking about it. Plus, you didn't forget to mention that there's water to the right, which alone makes people. Right. You know. Pucker. That's, yeah, I didn't want to say it. 
<laughs> so um, I'm going to bring bring one more name into this, uh, one more voice into this, maybe two more voices into this uh, conversation. I see Brad Williams has joined us. Hello there, Bradley. How are you, sir? Oh, you unmuted it. I think I'm doing well. How are you doing? Can you hear me? We're, we can hear you, and we we also think you're doing well. Awesome. I don't think you're doing well. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Bradley, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Are you eating dinner also? Mm-hmm. That's great. Katrina's waiting for dinner. Brad, Brad is eating pancakes, and I'm eating ice cream. So, we are. I don't. I'm not eating. I'm in the car. <laughs> you're, but you're waiting for dinner. Mm-hmm. Is is that true, Katrina? Yeah, it's okay. probably on the table, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Katrina, if you would like to run we can let you run and go eat and finish this conversation up. If you'd like to stay and hang for another 10 to 15 minutes, you can do that. I don't, I, I personally like hot food. So yeah, I don't, I, I never want to hold somebody up from food. Okay. Well, and there's five other people. So I feel kind of bad <laughs> and it's, but it's my fault. I forgot. So I will be more prepared next time. <laughs> I, I look forward to that. And but, my, <laughs> but to finish, I think my two cents are shorter tea. Or I like the idea of a longer tea where the second shot is harder. Okay. So those are my two cents. Uh, I, that's a total of four cents, and I think we'll take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You guys Thank have you. a good night. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Katrina. Okay. See ya. So, Bradley, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, what is it that you are having for dinner? Um... Pizza. All right. So pizza, pancakes, and ice cream. We should. We didn't ask Katrina what she was waiting for, um, but she had ordered and then ran outside to her car to talk to us, which was kind of funny. Um, cool. And then her car didn't start, which was another thing. So, yeah. Got to change the oil regularly. <laughs> car, car talk with Bradley Williams. You're, you, I don't know if you know, one of the car talk guys died. And Aww, I love that show on NPR. It's a fantastic show, but they might be needing another brother if you're free. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Check your oil. Don't drive like yeah. my brother. <laughs> um, so, Bradley, though, what we are talking about, as I suspect you're aware, is hole five at Jonesboro. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you very much for coming out to the Jonesboro course. And was this – you played in Waco, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And I didn't – I don't know about Memorial. I didn't check your stats. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Well, it's nice to have you back on the tour. Um, I know you took a brief hiatus last year and, uh, and you're back this year. And I'm, I'm very glad for that. Um, what are your expectations? What are you, what are you looking to do this season? Finishing the top 10 at all the big events is what I'm really shooting for. I would love to just get on a consistent streak. Get your name back in lights as often as possible build a brand, get some followers, let people know what kind of game, how, you know, how I play and just get a fan following really. And then, uh, market to those people. Nice. So, uh, one thing that I do very well is, uh, inadvertently disparage people. So okay. I asked Katrina how long she'd been playing on tour three or four years. And she said eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, I asked Jen Allen once how far she can throw a disc and she said 569 feet. You and said, said 325. That, what's that? Matt. You said 325, didn't you? No, no, not me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> With a tailwind. Um, yeah. So I asked her, and she said 569 feet. And, and I said, that's a very specific number. And she said, well, yeah, I have the world record. So I didn't, oh, right. I didn't know that at the time. So I'm going to do the same to you now. I'm okay, going to say, yeah. in, in my opinion, you're not one of the longest throwers on tour. Is that... Is that true or is that false? That is so true. Okay. So I'm, I'm one for three. Right. I there you go. Join baseball. Mm -hmm. So uh, how far can you throw a disc? Four, 400, 450, 500? Like 295 if I get like a good flight. <laughs> that's, the, that's the full S. That's the uh, – you're giving it get everything. The, get the nose down. Yeah. Nose down S over a cliff. Mm-hmm. So uh, on a, you can throw a max of 295. So mm -hmm. when we approach hole five at Jonesboro, which is for the men, almost 500 feet. 
to reach the pin uh, to, to just clear the uh, the OB there is probably 440 or so. Brad, does yeah. that make sense? Brad, yeah. Is it, it's about 50 feet away, Brad. Uh, a little closer. Oh, this is interesting. We have two people named Bradley. Uh, I'll be, so, you can call me Cactus if you want, or uh, Bradley. Brad, cactuses have little thorns and are all prickly. Right, yeah. Yeah. You knew that? Yeah, I knew that. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to call you Bradley, and I'm going to call Brad Pete's Brad. Right. Or Pete's, either one. Uh, I'll say, I'll go with Brad. Can you call me Willie? I could call you Willie. All right. After Willie Nelson? Yeah, sure. Is he your favorite boxcar? Uh, sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you want to be called Willie? I don't know. It sounds fun. does sound fun. Yeah, yeah. Willie. Okay, Willie. You can call me B. Willie. Oh, your last name. Right. There you go. <laughs> I'm one of the most prepared podcast hosts in the world. I'm like one of the least prepared guests in the world. Okay, that works out well. So do you know hole five at Jonesboro? Mm -hmm. In your opinion, is that hole too long to go for the green uh, on any, in any situation? If, if the pond was like a sand trap or whatever kind of bunker where you didn't automatically lose your club and a stroke, I don't think so. Okay. That's, Brad, that's an interesting take. And one that's that an interesting thing. I didn't anticipate that that comment. What do you think of that? Uh, it, it would be difficult, I think, to make it a type of sand trap, especially when the water's Just up. Just fill high. it in with sand. Just fill it in with sand. <laughs> <laughs> and if you land in the sand trap, you have to play a forehand, no penalty stroke. You just play a forehand. Karen, that's what you have to do. So the, the interesting thing that just happened, and this is something that I, I had not considered um, when you play USDGC and it's all ropes mm -hmm. and you miss your shot, you don't lose your disc. You lose a stroke, of course, right. but you, you were able to go for it and you, but you still keep that disc, which really matters mm -hmm. at Maple Hill. When you go over the pond, if you miss that disc, you're on hole one, you miss that disc, which you were counting on for the rest of the round is gone. Yeah. Could this be a driver you've had in your bag for a year, and there it goes. Bye bye. You know, yeah. whoops. And that's a that's. It, uh, I remember watching some people warm up at Maple Hill, and uh, I think it was either fourteen or sixteen, which is like four hundred and fifty feet to clear the water. And I think it was Paul Ulibarri, and he uh, he, threw, he threw three or four discs, and then he brought out his blue one, and he said, "This is the one I'm going to throw during the tournament." And it just went straight at the pin, held the line the whole way and made it. And he said, but I'm not going to use that during practice because I can't afford to lose it. And people have discs like that. It's important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So huge point, Bradley. I, I genuinely appreciate you making that point. So for you, it is simply a matter of the, the difference between losing the disc and not losing the disc is what makes this an unapproachable green. No, not necessarily, but that's a strong, that's a strong point. I think, um, hole four is a pretty easy par four. Yep. So if you haven't gotten birdie until then you, you're just now going to, you just probably got a birdie on four and then five since hole six is an easy birdie, seven's an easy birdie and hole eight are easy birdies. It's not really worth it to gamble on a losing a stroke and possibly your disc when you know you're, you've just got a birdie and you're about to get three more. So the whole five just kind of plays in a, in a, in a little stretch where I don't think it's worth it to go for it, but it's totally reachable. Steve, did you mute yourself? On purpose? Oh, okay, okay. All right, well, let me ask this, Bradley. If our plan, everybody's got plans. One of our biggest plans is to uh, dress that area up a little bit more uh, to make the pond edge a little bit more defined. And, and to do that, we'd have to go in and scrape out the pond, flatten it out a little bit, um, build the wall, and then fill it back up. Mm. Once we did that, the water theoretically would not be as murky as it is now. Um, and if we had somebody sitting down there, like, um, 
you know, we had somebody who's going to do do that for us until it turned to be 20 degrees. Um, you know, we have somebody sitting down there in waders to get your disc right back out. If we cleaned up the pond edge to where the water was a little bit clear and we had somebody down there fishing, fishing them out as soon as they went in, would that change your mind a little? No, absolutely not. No. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Again, again, just because of the easy par four, the birdie six, birdie seven, birdie eight, it's just not right. worth it in that not stretch? Nah. Interesting. Okay. So – uh, fa fantastic take on the course. And in my opinion, much deeper than, than I would ever uh, think about the course. I, I look at each particular hole as a thing and I don't look at, okay, I'm about to get three birdies. I don't need to push right here. Um, so uh, Bradley, I would say when I, when I look at this hole, in, in my opinion, I want more people to go for it. Because something on the order of ten to fifteen percent of of the top of the MPO field went for this hole, uh, so I would like that number to jump up to forty to sixty percent, depending on the weather. Uh, do you think that's a possible possibility? Uh, one one thing that was talked about was was limbing or cutting some trees, and do you think that I'm my my goal is valid? Sure. Absolutely. That'd be a great opportunity. Uh, you know, if you could do something to make that whole, not much of a risk, you know, besides the OB itself. Right. I mean, you still have to throw it 500 feet downhill. Yeah. Something like that. Probably like 450. Yeah. yeah I probably plays closer to 450 for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but you still have to actually execute the shot. Right. So, um, Brad, what do you think of that? Uh, think about which part. Sorry. I mean, I was in there with you, but think about which part. Uh, the, the 40 to 50% going for it? Well, that, that part and the fact that, well, um, well that's interesting. Um, Bradley, what did you say about if we move that tee forward or limb some trees, would you go for that hole on a, on a 450 foot throw? You wanna, you're thinking about moving it down the hill? The well, no, we're, we're just thinking conceptually, what's the best way to, to make this happen? Is it to move the tee to limb some trees or leave it like it is and hope we get better weather where more people can go for it anyway? Um, the, that little sapling that's growing down at the bottom. Yep. It's not, it's not really an issue until it grows. Right. So, um, just designing the shape of that tree, is going to be important over the next 20 years. Um, right. So that's something that you're going to want to protect if you're going to let it grow is trying to try to maybe pull the tree to bend a certain way. But I think it's cool down there. The, the drainage that drains down into the pond from the road, that little uh, like Creek or whatever. Right. Maybe that part isn't part of the OB and you get creative and build an artificial bunker, you know, some aerial um, obstacles out of wood or something like the Europeans are doing, uh, just like a putting hazard or a collection zone. I don't think it's very difficult for a pro to play the wide hyzer over the OB wall and push where the wall is now. I think that's pretty doable. And then you have that little jump putt or whatever, like the 70-footer, 60-footer. Right. I think that's pretty cool. And then you have the guys who want to flex it with a tailwind or whatever and go for the, the green. But pushing the hyzer and maybe getting a bounce over the wall and then boom, you're putting for three instead of a two is kind of like not really that encouraging, but it, it would be doable if you didn't automatically lose a stroke by getting in that 60, 70 foot putting range. Because the disc off green is probably like an 80 footer. So you didn't, you don't want like a random little kink of OB. The front of the green is really the, where that sapling grows. In my opinion, it's very, that in disc golf, you know, it doesn't have to be within 32 feet to be the green. I think it's an 80 foot shot. So having a little strip of OB in the front, maybe isn't the best idea. You could leave the OB out to the right in the pond if you want, and maybe make some sort of a challenge there. You know, I don't know what it, what it would be, but. 
then that hole would be cool because people could, people would play the hyzer shot and maybe opt for the 60 footer, 50 footer. And then the guys could, you know, attack it for the park job, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Uh, Steve mentioned the weather and that is one thing that, you know, this is two years in a row now that our weather has been abnormal for springtime in Arkansas. Uh, usually you have a 10 to 15 mile per hour wind out of the south every day, which would be a tailwind on that shot. It would be right by, it, it would give you 10 to 15 mile per hour tailwind. Um, you guys did not get that any of the three days this year. And, and oh. so then. All six, we had a right to left, didn't we? Um, the no, first one? No. The first day was dead calm. You didn't have anything on, yeah. on, I on Saturday. Out of the, Saturday was out of the north. It was left to right on hole yeah. six. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, and it's oh. usually the other way. It's usually right to left on hole six, which would give you that tailwind on hole five. Yeah, that would make it pretty nice for sure. Bradley, just to, just to recap what you said, because I tried to follow along, but uh, my, my, little, my little mind has trouble sometimes. Um, it sounded like you were saying instead of having uh, the OB over the creek uh, right in front of the green where those little trees are, just sort of make the OB almost straight down mm-hmm. and leave, that, leave a little strip that's actually inbounds. So you can be as aggressive as you want as long as you go left enough. You're going to bounce. You're going to see a lot more players opting for the hyzer shot and pushing it instead of that inside flex. Yeah. If they have that room, they would just attack the creek. Yeah. And you, you would see a ton of players uh, at least bidding for, for birdie. Absolutely. Right. And, and then it sounded like you also wanted to, you, you also proposed potentially adding uh, some sort of a, a bunker in disc golf, which in my mind is shrubbery. Yeah. Which, shrubbery trees wacky wavy inflatable clown men okay anything yeah anything anything but like immediately taking a stroke away from my score and or my club anything you want to do you want to put a playscape there let's try it i just don't i don't like the idea of playing courses and going oh man i went for the shot they took a stroke for me you know or my or my club I, i want the idea of can we create a bunker can we create a challenge? The players in the challenge, can you get out of the challenge? He could still get up and down. Like, I think we need to be thinking about that to move forward and not just these ropes of like, well, he's out of bounds, you know? He lost his strength. I know for a fact that Brad agrees with you on the concept of, hey, there's a rope there. Hey, you're out of bounds. You just lost a stroke. Um, to, to take this conversation, we got to start putting a bow on it because I got about five minutes. But, uh, when I look at hole five at Maple Hill and Bradley, I think, you know, that hole. I hope you know that hole pretty well. It's the one that goes left to right over the water. It's 280 feet. Um, Greg Barsby aced it last year. So that hole, in my opinion, uh, is a, if you don't execute the shot, I'm going to take a stroke and I'm going to take your club. And in my opinion, I think that's okay because it's absolutely a reachable hole. Is, yeah, am I, it's, am I thinking? 300, it's 300 feet or less, isn't it? Yeah, it's 280. Yeah. So is in that case, it's okay. Absolutely. Because you, you as, a, as a, a top pro in our game, you have to be able to make that shot. Absolutely. Now, however, a 500-foot shot throwing a, uh, either a ridiculously big hyzer or a very well-carved-out S, mm. uh, low straight shot, that's, that's asking a lot more of somebody and saying – so that's, I just want to make sure there's a difference here. You're not saying I hate OB. You're right. saying at times I, I hate OB. Right. I, what I'm saying is that hole is primed up. Like if I was in an imaginary piece of land and you gave me that hole and I didn't have the pond there and I could create a sand trap on the right and a bunker short, that's what I would do. And a bunker meaning I didn't lose a stroke, but, you know, it's an obstacle that I have to get through. Just like if you're in a sand trap in golf – the rules have changed. You can't ground your club and you, you know, you're going to play a sandwich, a whole new little gimmick, but it's not taking a stroke away. And that's the kind of pro par three that you, you have the abil- ability to make with hole five, I think. But the, as it is now, it's just not worth it with all the extra birdies to squeeze out one extra birdie. You know, I don't think, uh, unless the wind was extremely favorable. Uh, Brad, not, not the opinion that I expected. And I love it. What do you think? Uh, very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and, you know, 
the bunker idea is something that we've toyed around with a little bit as well. In fact, if you remember last year, there wasn't a single round hay bale on the course. This year, there were a few round hay bales on the course. Next mm -hmm. year, there might be a few more round hay bales on the course. Awesome. Um, you know, that that is something that is part of the course that could be used, like Bradley is saying, as a type of bunker that's kind of in the way. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not taking away a stroke. It's not rope that we just put out in the middle of nowhere, but it's well-placed hay bales that you have to throw over or throw through or throw around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just say uh, thank you to both of you. Uh, actually, I'll give you. Do you guys have any last comments you want to do on hole five before uh, before I say thank you and bid you adieu, Bradley? No, I'm good. This has been fun. Thank you. Okay. And uh, th so, thank you both for being here. Uh, it's it's been a great conversation and happily one that went in a different direction than I expected. It's it's always good to be open to new ideas and and ready to listen and. Uh, and Bradley, I'm, I'm really glad that we got you on here so that you were able to tell us that. I don't know what Garrett Gerthy would have told us, but it probably would have been different. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we got you and were able to listen. And, and Brad, thank you for telling us your story and, and telling us about the number four. Great. I appreciate it. Again, uh, feel free to download the podcast uh, on your favorite uh, podcast app. It's Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. We have a new uh, podcast that comes out every Sunday morning. Uh, it's Dixon Jowers interviews and it's called the profiles PRO space files. Uh, Bradley, I expect you'll be one of our people that we interview on that in the, in the coming months. And I look forward to hearing, hearing about your travails and what makes you who you are. Um, and Brad, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, shaking your hand in about 11 months. Yeah! yeah.